I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Today we're talking about mentoring relationships, why they're particularly helpful to LGBTQ plus youth, and in turn why it is particularly harmful when LGBTQ plus kids experience homophobia or rejection within a mentoring relationship. There's a lot of evidence out there that high-quality mentoring relationships improve outcomes for young people. Given the high levels of family rejection LGBTQ plus youth face, as well as their higher risk for multiple negative health outcomes, mentors might even be more important for this group. Obviously, the stress there is on high-quality mentoring relationships. Unfortunately, not all mentors are open-minded. You had an experience with a mentor in middle school? Were you in high school yet? It was, I mean, it was all through, like, late elementary school to high school. The point where it kind of got weird was high schoolish, I think. And what I remember you telling me was that you had brought something up that had to do with possibly being... LGBTQ plus and your mentor seemed to not want to have anything to do with that conversation. Yeah, you know, it was kind of odd. I don't remember it super specifically. And I really only thought of it again when this came up in a separate conversation about queer youth and their mentors. But I just remember, you know, this was obviously a relationship that I'd had for uh, four-ish years at this point, four or five years, somewhere in there. And I just remember that towards, you know, those last couple of years, when I was starting to identify as queer and non-binary, that I would sometimes bring it up sort of tangentially, kind of like exploring, you know, seeing if that was a topic of conversation that felt safe and open. And it wasn't. And I don't remember specifically why. It wasn't necessarily a, a really aggressive like, oh, we don't talk about that or, oh, that's evil and sinful according to God. Like not nothing explicit like that. Just just like a general kind of change in the vibe. And then I was like, oh, this doesn't feel like it a thing that she wants to talk about or an area of life that she's interested in being a mentor in. All of this is so tricky because it is also a really, really hard time for anybody that works with young people to feel safe because if you do try to be a positive mentor, role model, person that kids can feel safe in your space, people are going to start accusing you of all sorts of things. It's just a mess. So I get it. I get not wanting to talk about it, maybe. But I also think that it's really important for there not to be a sense of alienation or negativity attached to that. And it seems like your relationship kind of suffered after that on both ends. Like you experienced kind of a difference in how she related to you. Yeah. And again, I don't really remember it super clearly. I just know that at that point it was it was kind of a thing where like it, the relationship just sort of petered out. Like we just stopped meeting up for our regular meetings because I don't know, I wasn't feeling like it was necessarily a high priority for me to continue the relationship at that point. And I, I, don't, I can't speak to what her thoughts were, but, you know, it just kind of ended, I guess. I think it's important, I guess, to start this out by explaining what we mean when we talk about homophobia. It's not just shouting slurs and laughing. Unfortunately, those things do happen. But there are a lot more subtle ways that 
these attitudes are expressed that can still be harmful. I have to recommend Case Western Reserve University's Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Center's website because they have some really good ways of explaining this on there. But Sienna, I'm guessing you've heard the term heterosexism. Yes. I think it's a really comprehensive way of describing the attitudes that we often call homophobic. And it's relevant to this conversation because kids are far more likely to encounter these than overt meanness from a mentor. Mm -hmm. So that Case Western site that I mentioned lists these as common manifestations of heterosexism. Oversexualism. So assuming that LGBTQ plus people are only sexual beings. Denying personal significance, which is saying things like, it doesn't matter to me that you're LGBTQ plus. A person's identity and experience should matter, just not negatively. And expecting queer people to not talk about their identity or partners is alienating. Denying political significance. This is criticizing people for making an issue of their sexuality, not understanding that it is political because society is dangerous for LGBTQ plus people. Labeling homosexuality or bisexuality a problem. So diagnosing it, talking about cures and causes. Making people feel invisible in their identity. So assuming that everyone's straight until proven otherwise, you know, asking girls, do you have a boyfriend or boys? Do you have a girlfriend? Not making it feel safe to be out or hiding LGBTQ plus people from visible positions. Generalizing, which is assuming that all queer people are the same or saying you're okay, you're not like the rest of them. Making sure that people know you're straight or avoiding behaviors that might make you look less your gender. Expecting to be taught, putting the burden of education and working for change on LGBTQ plus people, which I am asking you to educate people, but hopefully this is not consensual. It is consensual. That is an important point. You are agreeing to do this. And misdefining bisexuality and homosexuality. Assuming bi people must be non-monogamous or promiscuous. Assuming all lesbians hate men. Assuming LGBTQ plus people want to convert straight people. And trying to help people go straight. Or saying it is a phase. Oh, I have another one. Uh, like, I don't have a problem with gay people as long as they don't hit on me. Mm-hmm. There's like this misconception that you know, the over-sexualization, like a misconception that anybody gay must be hitting on you. Mm -hmm. These attitudes are really prevalent in our society. And it's easy for them to come across even if you're not intentionally trying to express them to somebody. Your experience with your mentor and another one that we heard of recently didn't involve insults. They just involved somebody not really wanting to talk about that person's identity and not making it feel like that was an acceptable topic. And that kind of experience is also hurtful. Like you mentioned that that experience made you feel less like engaging with your mentor after that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the challenge also is that, you know, when someone starts shouting slurs at you or like lecturing you about God, you know, it's easy to sort of like compartmentalize that. It's easy to go to someone and be like, 
hey, they shouted slurs at me. Whereas it's a lot less easy to do that with some of those more um, kind of like microaggression type things, right? So that other incident that we heard about, the student was also invalidated by the program coordinator when when her mom tried to discuss it with them, like was basically, you know, dismissed and said, that's that's not what's really happening. You're making a big deal out of this. And it's also harder to just be like, well, you're a crappy person because it might be someone who still tries, like, is still very kind to you in other capacities. Well, the fact that they're mentoring in the program means that, like, they have the desire to help. Mm -hmm. And they're not, you know, they're not being like, you're gay, so it's a huge problem. Like, they don't even realize necessarily that, almost certainly they don't realize that they're creating this barrier. So I think it's a lot, in some ways, it's actually a lot more difficult to deal with. Having been through that now with a little perspective, if you were to talk to this other teenager that we heard about recently, like, what would you say? What would you say helped you kind of work through that process? It's a little bit challenging. I don't think that I necessarily had as close of a relationship with my mentor as she did. And so I don't think it was as challenging for me to work through. But I think, you know, seeking out like there are lots of adults who, you know, are actively making a point of being mentor figures specifically for LGBTQ youth who are available. So, you know, one person that I started talking to more frequently and engaging with more was the teacher sponsor for the Sexuality and Gender Alliance at the high school, who happened to be my friend's mom and, you know, someone that our family already knew. So that that relationship was already set up to an extent. But I mean, it's, you know, there are lots of adults out there who are available, who, you know, make a point of trying to be accessible for, you know, specific demographics who might be rejected in other relationships. Yeah, that is a good point, because it's really hard unless an organization is specifically geared towards addressing very specific needs like gender identity, sexual orientation, orientation, things like that. Um, There's a lot of awareness that volunteers and the organizations themselves need to gain and work through to make sure that they're providing, you know, safe relationships. Advocates for Youth has an excellent Creating Safer Spaces toolkit, and I thought this was well put. Organizations that do not appear as inclusive or those that are not working toward creating safer spaces may unknowingly be promoting the silence and lack of engagement among LGBTQ plus young people, which is kind of what you expressed. You don't want to engage necessarily with somebody that that you have hunch is not going to be accepting of you. And, you know, for kids that don't have the confidence to approach a teacher or a friend of the family, or they just don't know anybody, if their mentor does not feel like that safe relationship, they're, you know, often left with nobody to talk to. And that can kind of take us back to those negative outcomes that mentors believe. The fact that these programs are generally specifically designed to target youth who are struggling in some capacity means that it's very likely that a kid won't feel comfortable, won't have a family that they can talk to, won't have access to even high quality teachers in the first place, let alone teachers who are interested in engaging with them. You know, there are all sorts of 
access barriers that already exist for the demographics that these groups are trying to serve. And so when when they fail to to prioritize queer youth in their mentor training and awareness and programming, they're effectively cutting a lot of queer youth out of the benefits of mentoring programs in the first place, because the youth in these programs are the ones who don't have anywhere else to go. Exactly. I would love to see organizations doing some of this kind of training. And I think it's an important question, maybe if you have a queer youth or, you know, suspect that they might be to learn more about the organization that that is setting your kid up with a mentor and maybe, you know, ask questions. It's okay to ask. Advocates for Youth refers to cultural responsiveness. Considering that you can never really understand someone else's culture or experience, but you can be a informed and prepared to respond in a positive way when these topics come up. They list some things that are necessary for an organization to build cultural responsiveness, which are becoming self-aware, analyzing yourself and your attitudes, analyzing yourself and how your attitudes influence your interactions, educating yourself on inequities and institutional barriers to services, and not making assumptions about someone's values or characteristics based on their demographics. Probably questions that not only mentors, but parents, teachers, anybody should ask themselves. Because it's really important to think about your reactions to the topics of sexual orientation and gender identity. You know, to think about how do I feel when that comes up? Are these uncomfortable topics for me? Why? What do I need to do in order to react comfortably when these topics come up? You know, even something as simple as a boy mentioning his boyfriend could feel really bad to him if the mentor looks like surprised or taken aback or quickly changes the subject because that feels Mm -hmm. rejecting. And, you know, I know that there are times that you have said something to me and I haven't responded right away and you have said, okay, you're not responding. Like, I could tell you were thinking my silence meant some kind of disapproval. And from my end, usually it's, I haven't thought about it before. Or how do I make sure I'm not responding weirdly? I'm not going to respond in any way immediately because I want to make sure I'm having a positive response, which can be interpreted as a negative response. And I think that's why anybody, including me, needs to like learn as much as possible. And kind of be prepared when things come up. So you're not like, whoa, that one took me aback, you know? Right. It's, you know, as something that I think comes up a lot where people have this idea that nothing is neutrality. And that's not true. That's just not true, right? Nothing in the context of a student who is frequently silenced and feels like they're shouting into a void is very much a negative response. And Exactly like you just said, it's not even necessarily a manifestation of some like, oh, I'm actually homophobic or transphobic or whatever. It might literally just be, huh, I hadn't thought about how I would respond to that in this context. And yeah, it's it's why it's so important to be providing those those tools. I remember when I was an intern at a, a summer camp for youth, there was a kid who, you know, I was wearing a rainbow bracelet that like my girlfriend at the time and I had r- matching rainbow bracelets. And this kid was like, oh, are you like, are you gay? And I was like, well, actually, like I'm I'm bi and 
you know, had like a little conversation and he was asking me about like other staff members being supportive. And it was like, I, I felt like I was able to respond probably partially because I was also queer and I can be like, oh, I know how I would want to respond. I know what's kind of necessary in this situation. But I think probably even even at that point, I felt kind of like, well, I really hope I'm not doing anything wrong here. Like I, you know, because it's because it's so sensitive in a lot of cases, working with kids and everything. So, yeah, it's I mean, that again, this wide training and providing resources to people is so important. And, you know, my suggestion would be if we happen to have any organizers of mentoring programs listening, I would highly recommend reaching out to a queer organization in in your area. You know, as an example, right, mom and I founded Pride House and we do volunteer trainings for the people who work with kids in the space. And we would easily be able to put together a, you know, quick like half day training for mentors. Like, here's the basics of being an ally. You know, and there are there are loads of organizations around the country that I imagine would be able to do something very similar. And I think that would be just a really, really good way of incorporating that into your organization's work. And I think that's a really simple step to take that could make a huge difference for people like me and the girl that we've been talking about. I would so love to see, you know, local organizations that provide mentors looking for that kind of training. Mentoring.org. There's a website I checked out that has some resources. There's an Elements of Effective Practice for Mentoring document out there, for example, which we can link to. Um, And they have an LGBTQ supplement on their website so that you can add that to your mentor training. So there are resources out there or, you know, like Sienna said, if you reach out to local organizations like Pride House in Bozeman is we do trainings all the time and have gotten feedback from the community that it's a really good training program. So um, that would definitely be a resource. It's very hard, I think, to tell people who come from different backgrounds that they have to indicate acceptance for something that they find morally challenging But I think there's a conversation that needs to be had about either you have to be able to not let those feelings impact your interactions with young people, or you need to be really clear that you only want to be matched with a certain kind of kid from a certain background. But I mean, I think even the challenge with that, right, because I think it's true. I imagine that there are mentoring organizations who are concerned that, well, if we make this like a mandatory part of our training, we're going to drive away, say, volunteers from churches, which based on my knowledge of churches tend to be a really, really substantial source of volunteers. Mm -hmm. So there's probably that fear there. But I think the challenge is, is, I mean, first of all, there's something kind of icky about saying, I only want to be matched with X, Y, and Z. Like, Like, imagine a white lady showing up in a mentoring program and saying, oh, I only want to be matched with white students. Like, gross. So, you know, maybe, maybe think about that if you're in that position and, you know, how, how, that, how that comes across, right? Because it's, it's the same thing. But even if we were to say that that's fine and we would rather not be matching folks in those situations anyway, the problem is you don't know which kids are going to turn out queer. Like, yeah, you, I know that's... Oh, That's the challenge because 
you know, I used to work for Big Brothers Big Sisters. And so we would interview kids that came to the program and we'd interview adults. And based on the questions, none of which were like explicitly, are you racist? But, you know, questions that you can get a feel for who people are and then match people up according to which personalities and backgrounds seem most compatible or most useful to the other or, you know, whatever. But there's no even subtle questions you can ask a nine-year-old that's going to indicate whether that child is going to realize at 14 that they're gay. Right. So it's, you know, I, I think ultimately it's a matter of if you are providing this service to youth, it is your obligation to ensure that the service you provide is high quality and safe for the youth that you're serving. And I just don't think that there is a way of doing that without, you know, making it clear in your training, like, yeah, you're going to have to get over this if you want to be an effective mentor in our program. And if that drives some people away, like, you know, I understand how that's challenging, especially if you're a more strapped organization, but it's just your job, man. Yeah. I mean, you are working with kids that need support in any number of ways. And you have to see that as, I mean, if if you were working with a kid that, you know, whose parents maybe had drug problems, you would, it'd be really important to you to be a non-judgmental, safe, comforting person to talk to without saying horrible things about their parents and their drug use, even if you find it morally upsetting. You know, you have, even if something is not a lifestyle that you agree with, you have to be able to support the child without seeing that as somehow compromising your values. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people to do. They, like, they think, or if I act accepting, then I am promoting something that is bad. And then I'm bad. Yeah. And, you know, we were having this conversation in one of my classes about like we were talking about accessibility, like physical accessibility and how like the challenges of if you're a brand new organization and you are just trying to find somewhere to set up, it it can be really hard to be like, well, we have to make sure that this place is also accessible to everyone. But, you know, there's there's an element that's like, I mean, Okay, maybe that's a sacrifice you make. You just have to be aware that you're cutting out a certain demographic from receiving your services, you know? And I think it's important to not only be aware of that, but to have it framed that way in your mind if you're if you're organizing services for vulnerable communities. Yeah, all a matter of choices and what your I guess what your ultimate goals and missions are. You know, I would think eventually we will have more specific LGBTQ plus mentoring programs, but we're not there yet in most places. Right. And I mean, honestly, even even if we were, I mean, again, first of all, like kids should have access to mentor figures before they know they're queer, right? Which could be when you're 10. Good point. Yeah. Be when you're 20 and you don't know. And also like there are some kids who are going to prefer being in a specific queer mentoring context. There are some kids who aren't going to be comfortable with that. Right. And you want non-specific contexts to be available to the kids who need them, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. So bottom line, if you are a mentor or if you are organizing mentors, give some thought if it is not part of your training to this cultural responsiveness and how that can make sure that you are creating a safe, healthy, positive environment for the kids that you are trying to help. By the way, I also did really like from your your parent perspective, right, your point about asking questions when your kid is being involved in one of these programs. And again, unfortunately, not all kids have parents that are capable of doing that and that are in positions to do that. But, you know, if, if you are, if you are a parent who can do that, it's not only will that help protect your child specifically, but it also shows that, hey, this is a thing that parents are concerned about. This is a thing that is going to impact the reputation of our organization if we aren't responding in a constructive and supportive way. <laughs> Capitalism, right? Like Ultimately, a lot of times these organizations do operate in a way that's very similar to a business and they have to they have to respond to public pressure. So that's, you know, I, I really appreciated that point as well. Well, it's always good to get your perspective on these things. I am sorry that you went through that experience, but having heard of others going through it, I appreciate that you can offer the perspective and just the, it's not you, you know, this happens. And so, so thank you as always for being open with your experiences. We hope this has been helpful. Like Sienna said, if you are an organization that would like some tips on volunteer training with this in mind, feel free to reach out to us. And if you are an organization that does a really good job or has had a lot of success in these kinds of interactions, let us know what has worked well in your organization. Incidentally, if you, you know, want want resources and you are like, hey, I would like to to find a training program for my volunteers, but I don't even know where to start. Yeah, definitely reach out. We would be happy to uh, you know, find somewhere, some, find some connections for you to make. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we are really excited to welcome journalist Aaron Reed to our program. We are going to talk about a New York Times opinion piece that has become pretty notorious in certain circles and why it is problematic. Aaron has a lot of expertise in this area, and we're excited to share that conversation with you. Until then, take care. Days are getting longer. We're getting more sunshine. Soak in the vitamin D. It's 50 and degrees here. 50 degrees here, too. Crazy. All right. Oh, this was apparently a winter war weather warning for tomorrow, so. Yeah, it's that time of year. I <laughs> so, saw something about full spring. Yeah, full spring for sure. Yeah, soak in the sun while you can, because it's not a given yet. All right, and we will catch you next time. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, interesting, or just mildly amusing, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us to get the word out there and spread this information as far as we can. And as always, check out our website at queerkidsstraightmom.com or visit us on Facebook, Queer Kids Straight Mom, Instagram at queerkid.straightmom or Twitter at queerkidstr the number eight mom. And if you're feeling especially generous, please consider joining our Patreon 
by searching Queer Kids Straight Mom. It helps us fund this podcast. 